Welcome to the Sonda Podcast. Tune in to hear the most insightful, inspiring and entertaining conversations with expert legal professionals from around the world. We'll discuss the ever-evolving legal sector and explore the latest market trends and updates to help you get ahead in your legal career. Today I'm speaking to Jonathan Taylor, an experienced legal recruiter of almost nine years of experience in the game. Here Jonathan shares how recruitment has evolved since he started out, why you should get into recruitment if you are unsure about a career in law, but most importantly, he shares key market intel and advice to training and mid-level lawyers in London looking to level up and navigate current market conditions. Hello John, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here on a nice sunny day in London. How are you? I'm very well. So we're going to jump straight in with how we always kind of start these podcasts. And that's what's your background story, kind of where did you grow up and kind of what led you into the legal industry? Okay, so I I grew up in a town called Brentwood in Essex. My father was a lawyer, a solicitor um, at a firm in East London. So my introduction to the legal industry started when I was a, a kid, really. I think um, if, I, if I'm going to be completely honest and transparent in this, I suppose I was a little bit of a legal brat where my father introduced me to his colleagues, other lawyers. I would attend the office every now and then when I was a little kid. And he's, I suppose he tutored me in what it's actually like to be a lawyer. So I saw, and he was a solicitor who became a partner and, and the, the firm that he was at grew he was that third person to join and there was 120 of them by the time he, he left that so um i saw my introduction to the legal industry was really through the eyes of what it's like as a business so i wasn't a sort of very good student who you know assumed or thought they wanted to be a lawyer i had an understanding of lawyers are fee earners in a business so i kind of saw it from that side i was he trained me as an outdoor court clerk, which I'm not sure if there's a role which is still around, but basically means you collect a file from the solicitor's office um, when there's going to be a matter in court and you go to the court, you meet the client, you find the barrister, introduce them and take a note of everything that happens in sitting in court. So it's quite exciting when you were sort of 15, 16. I think it's probably fair to say that backfired because as opposed to introducing me to a role in the legal world, um, you know, I was self-employed. So you would, I would invoice for my time and I really enjoyed the idea of earning money. Um, so I would, you know, there's a few points where I'd go and take work and, you know, nip off from school, which I'm sure wasn't in my father's plans. Um, that was my introduction to legal. And yeah, I, I was never going to be a good lawyer. That was clear to me. It was obviously a path that was there for me. But That's I suppose because, you know, I, you know my, well, I knew exactly what it involved and the skill set that involves what attributes I have, I'm perhaps more clear on what attributes I don't have. And I think uh, fastidiously working all day, filling out a lot of forms. This was a primary uh, a legal aid practice doing crime and family. And I just wasn't, I don't think I was very good at working, you know, those intense hours to be that good a fear and i was very good at meeting barristers i was very good at going to court i had conduct of files which uh you know a qualified solicitor maybe wouldn't be trusted with because of all the time i'd done it um so i was very good at that bit but at the actual day-to-day work <laughs> i think i was very good so, so you know i wasn't um i wasn't particularly I, I was 
considered to be quite bright, but I wasn't a good student. When did you establish that kind of legal recruitment was the way to go for you then? So much later. So I, I moved to Liverpool to go to university and I ended up getting, just getting a job full time. I ended up staying up there for six years. I was involved in um, working in bars and bar management and, and organising you know, student parties, which was, you could make you know, some fairly decent money in, sort of all cash. And it kind of satisfied what I thought was my kind of entrepreneurial zeal. But really, it was I spent the first half of my 20s living quite a hedonistic life, I suppose. Um, and then you know, wanted to get a real job. Moved back down from Liverpool to London. Um, the contacts I had at sort of high street firms in East London allowed me to get a paralegal role. And I was going to, therefore, you know, the option was to qualify as a solicitor and get, get trained up. But then again, I quickly realised that it wasn't for me. Um, I don't think I'd have been that good at the the major part of the role, being in the office and uh, churning through the work. So after a few years, I it's a classic recruit tale. I took a step back. I thought, do I go down that route to earn the money that will lead me to, or what am I best at? What do I consider my best attributes to be? And I was in my, I was, you know, I was getting to the end of my twenties, kind of settled in who you are a little bit more, and you know, identified that I'm good with people building relationships, these kind of these classic. classic attributes that lend themselves to sales or recruitment, investigated recruitment, spoke to some friends and friends of friends who were in it, took about six months to decide whether that's something I should do. And then I started re reaching out to legal recruiters to get a role, uh, which I secured and started it. So I was, um, you know, into my thirties, uh, 31 when I started in it. And so, yeah, I, I kind of had a, a roundabout way of getting to that point but it was it was definitely the best decision I've made professionally in my career without a doubt. Do you have kind of any advice to people looking to get into recruitment at the moment um, any advice to those kind of just starting out? So it's, it's always a bit of a gamble because most people you either graduate and go into recruitment and perhaps you don't really know what you want at that point so you either like it or you don't and then you maybe do something else or you're a bit older and you've got a bit of life experience, a bit of professional experience, and then you you consider this move. And my my advice would be do your research first. You want to speak to lots of people, make sure as much as you can that that is something you're really interested in, um, and then go and do it. I think so my advice would be, you know, research it if you're going to get into it, speak to people who are in it. Um, you don't have to look far to find people who are in recruitment. There's always a friend or a friend of a friend. So take them up you know i was gonna say yeah you, they will offer to help and advise you if you ask for it so do take that help and then do your research and then throw yourself at it um but try and make the call that you you think you're going to like what it's about before you do it because a lot of people try out and you know and then end up leaving after a year and doing something else so you, you know you want to you want to avoid doing that with your career so you've um, been in recruitment for a while now, almost eight years, right? So uh, I think I, I was like kind of late 2014, so like nine years, I think, coming up to nine years. I would assume you've seen kind of the industry evolve a lot and change. Can you kind of let us know how that's kind of changed over the years? So I, I suppose I have. I've only done legal recruitment and private practice recruitment. Um, every sector is different. Um, and then within legal in-house recruitment is very different to private practice. So all my experiences within that, I have seen changes. It was always the case that this was the way, but I just didn't realise it when I started, you know, because you, you kind of, uh, well, I certainly did go into it without any real knowledge of recruitment. But I think there's been significant change. I think in within private practice, the, the, the march of the US firms 
it's changed the landscape but has created a very lucrative recruitment market for recruiters and also lots of options for lawyers um so that's been sort of an almost exponential growth in the city i've also seen you know there's more technology platforms available to recruiters now than there were when i started uh, it certainly feels like that um i think because of how busy it's been and um, perhaps the relationship you have with firms or the way you do your role is far more transactional now than it was at the start but again maybe that's perhaps I was trained in how to do recruitment and then I was you know or constantly trying to speak to clients get meetings in the diary um and you know perhaps now it's you really they just want the very best candidates the best lawyers they can they can find for their roles and your time is best spent doing that perhaps than constantly trying to be out the office so little changes like that but i think that maybe that's just to become a junior recruiter to a senior recruiter but my experiences in recruitment predominantly have been dominated by you know how the us firms have grown their london presence i would say that's the that's the big difference in the sort of sector focus but I'm not sure recruitment changes that much you know the more senior you get the the more you have to remind yourself about the basic and going over the basics and I think the basics have changed in any way yeah. and probably won't for a while I guess with change also comes challenge so what would you say are the main challenges faced by legal recruiters in kind of the sourcing and attracting top talent in today's market yeah. uh, well I think the main challenge a recruiter finds is other recruiters getting in the way you know it's a yes. it's a saturated <laughs> and competitive market if there were less recruiters compete with we'd all do much better so I think that's the challenge um that's the main challenge I mean ultimately if you focus on top tier private practice recruitment ultimately a lawyer simply has to pick you to facilitate their move based on the experience that they've had with you up until that point um, so becoming that recruiter they select is the challenge um, and then the number of recruiters in it are, are, the, are the main challenge. But of course, you know, outside of that, we try to hear, and I've always tried to hang my hat on the caliber of lawyer you're introducing to a firm. The private practice recruitment market is is busy, has always been busy, is competitive, um, but ultimately, you know, it's a candidate focused market. And mm -hmm. the challenge is to make sure that you are working with the very best lawyers you can, because uh, the standards are so high that if you aren't laser focused on delivering that level of talent then you, you aren't really gonna be able to do your job properly which is to get lawyers jobs yeah makes complete sense are there any kind of i guess common misconceptions or myths about legal recruiters that you want to debunk well i think recruitment in general there's a lot of um i suppose there's a, there's a general feeling recruiters aren't to be trusted i think there's a general feeling that we act in our own interests and not necessarily interests of a lawyer and I think with it being a sales role and when you are tasked by a firm to go and find a particular lawyer and you do you, know, you make headhunt calls you know it can be quite frustrating to a lawyer to sometimes get a call when they don't need it so I think getting over those kind of challenges I think um, but then you know if once you identify what is a a problem or a, a negative perception if you identify that then you can use that in order to present yourself in the appropriate way so I think the biggest challenge is not being wise to how lawyers may be um, re recruiters may be perceived um, you know how we act and behave and if you understand that that's what where someone may be coming from then it's quite it's not too difficult to 
alleviate those concerns. So in many ways, you know, the fact that there are, you know, there's no regulatory body in recruitment. There's there's not really a bar, a bar very low bar to entry. You know, anyone can do it in theory. So that means that there are a lot of recruiters out, out there who aren't um, appropriate to be dealing with the you know, the lawyers that they're trying to approach or don't really have the market knowledge. So rising above those and you know, pitch, you know presenting yourself in a certain way yeah. is actually yeah. can be a strength. I think. Yeah. So for those that maybe um, don't know the process or your process, can you just kind of outline how you work and how you kind of work for the candidate? So, you know, the lawyers that we are paid to attract are generally happy where they are, well paid, like their team and don't have any reason to move. You know, this is the ideal candidate for a hiring firm. Um, in order to sort of attract the process of about attracting someone like that is, first of all, you know, they aren't going to be interested in a move, so don't be too forceful and try and make them do that. I always try and outline how recruitment works, first of all. Again, going back to what I was saying, if you come at it that they don't know you, probably don't trust you and generally have maybe have a slightly negative opinion of recruiters, then immediately, you know, blowing the cobwebs away, you know, and you know, just explaining how it works, you know, how we're motivated, why we work the way we do, how the way we're incentivized to attract lawyers can lead to malpractice and lawyer and recruiters acting in their own interests and not those of the lawyers. By outlining all of that, it helps build trust. And and then, you know, after you've done that, then you can then explain how you intend to work. So I think that's always a good way to start a relationship. Um, I know through experience of speaking to lawyers that uh, a lot of recruiters don't do that. So I think that's, you know, that's a, a fair tip. So yeah, um, being honest and transparent. When you're kind of talking to these candidates, what are some of the kind of main key qualities or skills that you're kind of looking for that you know a law firm is going to be attracted by? Is there kind of any standout skills that are quite common across all practices? The first thing to say is that what, what a hiring firm's looking for, what a hiring partner look for is, first of all, you know, when they see a CV, that's the first interview. You know, to get invited in for the interview is the first step. And then the partner's considering your CV is that. So therefore, they're looking for a top academic record. You know, the better the university you went to, in the eyes of a partner, the, you know, the better candidate you may be. Then they're looking for, you know, experience gained at a peer firm or better. And obviously then they want to make sure that your level of understanding is appropriate for your level of experience. You know, these are the key things they're looking for. Another thing is they don't want people to have moved too often. The ideal candidate wouldn't have moved before. Um, obviously there's always legitimate reasons for, for moved, but you will, you know, you at the a point we make an approach, we'd have to take the time to make sure they understand why those moves have happened because a partner will come back and immediately ask if it's not covered. So not too many moves. And then, you know, so those are the, the key factors. But aside from that, there are certain universal qualities that any business look for in a hire, be it um, private practice, in-house recruitment or, you know, or, or anything, you know, energy and enthusiasm, you know, a, a great work ethic, um, you know, the ability to get on with a team well, not to um, cause problems. You know, somebody can slip into a, a tight team who already has a good culture seamlessly it's hugely important so you know and be just enthusiastic about your job you know these things you know anyone looks for so we've all you know a lot of people we've all interviewed people in the past and sometimes you just come away from an interview thinking that person's great 
and it's not necessarily because of their experience or the business they've come from it's just those universal qualities so yeah so uh, i'm just gonna say soft skills can go a long way i guess can't they um, absolutely massively underestimate them yeah so yeah. let's say um, it turns to interview you obviously help with the entire interview process um, are there any kind of key changes you've seen to interview processes this year that you didn't necessarily see last year or the year before? Um, well, we're in a slower market now than we have been you know, since the recovery from COVID. You know, after the first lockdown, there was a, a boom in deal making, which led to a boom in the recruitment of lawyers that subsided in the second half of 2022 and we're still in that slower market so the what that means for recruitment processes is right now firms are being very cautious the majority of interview processes are much slower they can afford to take their time in selecting the right candidate whereas if you look at say 2021 it was a very competitive market so any lawyer who was willing to consider their options would have multiple options and therefore firms were rushing people through interviews very quickly indeed so we're not really experiencing that at the moment. So that's the time taken to, for a role is a, a big difference now. I think given the sort of challenging macroeconomic conditions and you know, the war in Ukraine, um, a lot of firms are bringing people into interview who they know they would, in, in slightly more steady times, bring in for an interview. But I think law firms can just completely put the halt on recruitment. They still need recruiters to be continually sending them the best lawyers so they have the chance of hiring if they want to. Um, so we're seeing a lot of firms, perhaps, I think, not have necessarily been told this, you know, not necessarily having an approval to hire, starting an interview process, dragging it out over a month, five weeks to see, you know, what may change in, in market conditions, and then making the call at the end of that process whether they want to progress or not. Um, so that wasn't really happening in that, in that way a couple of years ago. So it's just generally a bit of a caution in the market. You know, inflation, you know, there was disappointing news the other day that hasn't come down as much as expected. So there was an expectation perhaps in the second half of the year that you know, M&A private equity deals may come back pretty strong. So maybe that's getting pushed towards the end of the year. Um, so firms have just generally been a bit cautious and, you know, they recruited so many lawyers over 2020, 2021, 2022, that um, it's more about managing the associates they have and making sure everyone's appropriately resourced than um, yeah. necessarily just adding heads. So I guess those going through interview need to be super prepared for kind of a longer process that, that I guess could be a bit more technical. Um, is there kind of one tip? What is your top tip? If, if someone's if someone's entering an interview process, then firms are not short of good candidates because you know it's less competitive, and then naturally, you know, all sorts of factors can lead to a lawyer needing or wanting to move. And when there is less opportunity, less roles on the market, then you have a little bit of a bottleneck where a firm is not short of good candidates. So I think understanding that the competition is fierce is sensible um you know anyone who goes into an interview process acting slightly aloof um how they're happy where they are but they're just seeing what's out there which is a dreaded phrase people use um you know isn't really going to cut it because you are going to be competing with people who are uh, focused on securing that position for whatever reason um so just acknowledging that in a tighter market with less opportunity it's more competitive to to get that offer to get there so you've mentioned the tight market um but obviously you have still been 
active and hiring. Um, so where are the pockets of activity? Where have you been kind of more able to place people over this period? So me personally, disputes uh, um, over the last nine months, uh, both litigation, primary arbitration has been a busy practice area. And, you know, it seems that most of the activity over this first half of the year from uh, associate recruitment perspective has fallen into those advisory practice areas where where all the primarily deal focus roles um, sort of started to slow down last year, sort of M&A, finance, private um, So there's not so much opportunity there at the moment, or certainly not compared to what there was. Um, and practice areas like financial services regulation competition have been particularly busy so i think you know in a challenging market in a with challenging economic conditions a top tier international law, law firm is always going to be busy the great adage you know there's no bad you know, bad economy for a top tier law firm um so uh, the activity just shifts to a different practice area so we've, we've definitely seen that so the advisory practice has been busier but there is there's, there is pockets of activity across M&A and MPE and it's picking up. So certainly we, we're calling it a tight market, but it's compared to the, the boom that we've experienced over the last few years. There is there is activity out there. But for, for me personally, disputes has been a, a big focus recently. What are people's main motivators for a move at the moment? What are you hearing from your candidates as to why they want to move? Let's say it's kind of the mid-level lawyer. I think the the universal reasons that a lawyer normally looks to move is one feeling that they aren't paid well enough for the hours they're putting in. That's a big one. If you're working all hours um, incredibly hard and you know someone who is paid considerably more is doing the same hours, then that can is a motivating factor. So that's always there. Uh, other key factors are not getting the responsibility or work that you need to progress. You know, every year counts for an associate. You need to, you're in competition with everyone at your PQE across the city, as opposed to just in your firm. And if there isn't, for whatever reason, a lot of work going on, it could be detrimental to your development. But obviously people are, are loyal. And if you like your team and like your firm, you're not going to just leave straight away just because there's no work. Well, most people won't. They'll be loyal. But there's a point to which people have to move in order to maintain their progress. So responsibility and getting the work you want and enough of it is a, is a big motivating factor. Culture, of course, um, culture means different things, to different people. It can be ours culture. It can be the culture within a team, the respect you get from your seniors. Um, if that, you know, a, a great culture is hard one. It doesn't take much to distort it. Um, so people can be very happy one day and then if you know, a little bad experience or a an argument or, or something that's not dealt with appropriately or a, a big one is not really getting respect from the partners and that's a driving factor and i think you know in the current market i think because it's quite slow if you are a, a lawyer who joined your current firm in 2020 2021 when it was booming and the team um you know added you know, multiple hires into the team and now it's a bit slow you may find yourself a little bit lost and uh, maybe aren't getting a lot of work um people start to wonder how long if you know if the work if this stays like this is it going to be a lasting you know, first out kind of situation of course they don't make decisions based on that basis but it's easy i think to to feel like that so i think at the moment that's a big driving factor people are willing to ride out bad times or difficult times because they happen but there comes a point where begrudgingly you may feel you have to leave in order to 
maintain your progress. So I think that's a factor in the market at the moment. On kind of the other end of the scale, for kind of training lawyers looking to kind of navigate their ne next steps, maybe they've come to the end of their fourth seat training contract and they're kind of unsure of what to do next. They're not sure they're going to get retained. What would your advice be to those? So I think this is a tricky one for, for uh, September qualifiers because, you know, as we've touched on a few times, it's um, you know slower than it has been in previous years. So I think a lot of four seat trainees are still waiting to find out if they're going to get offered what they want, where they are or what's available. And I think in, it's probably fair to say in years past, these decisions would have been reached sooner. So, yeah, I think um, you, well, the advice to anyone who's in that position doesn't really know what they want is to speak to a recruiter. You know, the NQ market is typically a very busy one and a, and a good one for recruiters to, to be working in. But it's, you know, you've worked so hard to reach that point that the idea that you, you know, yeah, the anxiety that can come from not knowing where you're going to end up or doing maybe not doing what you want to do is um is, is very difficult so you you must be speaking to recruiters in, in those circumstances and then there's also those policy trainees who have secured what they want either you know in the team they want where they are or at their training firm or maybe they've secured a role elsewhere you know and their mindset is moving towards you know what do i do now you know what, what what's important as i start my first year of being a qualified lawyer and there's loads of you know generally accepted advice you know for, for lawyers em embarking on their their first few months their first year as a qualified lawyer about what to do but you know getting lots of work raising your profile within the team building relationships with multiple partners and senior associates you know trying to find a mentor these are really things that will kickstart your career you know taking on lots of work but making sure you have the capacity to do it I think a little sort of bit of advice for any four seat trainees who are thinking about you know, their qualified role is as I mentioned before every year counts you're in a race you're in a competition with everyone else at your PQE um, you know some people stay at their training firm for their whole careers or stay their mate partner which is great um, but off, more often than not people move for plenty of reasons and when you move when you leave the sort of bubble of your firm you know you are being in order to secure that role you're being weighed up against how capable you are compared to the the, the lawyers they've come through their own training program and in their team you know um, you're in a in a recruitment process so there are candidates there are lawyers from other firms you're competing with them I think it becomes it becomes much more obvious that you are competing with everyone in the city at your level when you when you move but understanding that each year counts and that it can be easy to fall behind where you need to be primarily if you're not getting the work and the responsibility so um in order to you know and, and i don't think it's always obvious to a a junior lawyer that you know i suppose when you secure your training contract you're at university it's fantastic i'm gonna be a lawyer then you start your training contract and you realize you're not really in control of so much of where you, which seats you do or where if there's going to be a, a role at your training firm in the practice area you want to do whether you're going to get it or not um, and then when you finally secure that role you then realize that you're almost on this one or two year you, you continue on that training contract two-year path you know you are a junior lawyer in q2 and when you hit two pqe really you need to be at a certain standards and have a certain level of responsibility in order to be a a good junior to mid-level and then by the time you hit four you need to really be um very well regarded so that you can position yourself in the in the right team in order to kick on to being a senior associate and then go and track to partner so there's this 
every two years there's this marker you reach and I think understanding that that's the case helps junior lawyers to make sure that they are developing as best they can. Thanks John that was great. Um, you, you also mentioned kind of the continued rise of these US law firms so for kind of a junior lawyer what for their benefit what's the kind of key differences between working at a US firm in London to kind of a magic circle firm I know kind of the US firms pay more but kind of the cultural yep. working differences what are those yep so when I started in recruitment nine years ago there were uh, you know when I was sort of learning the trade and you know learning the market there was um you used to get some pushback to a lawyer at a UK firm being you know, asked or if they're interested in US firm there's um yeah the reputation for being satellite offices where you're just an extension of New York and in some cases that would you know lawyers would say that you know they kind of twiddle their thumbs until lunchtime when New York gets gets up and running and then you just work in New York hours you know as a extension of that team um and therefore the money that you can get for going to there isn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily um attractive to everyone because you you're moving away from having you know being in the well if the magic circle and the silver circle and the rest you know the the the, the lead office for the for the world um you know you're leaving that kind of environment and the training and development was rumored not to be so good um partnership prospects weren't as strong but if you skip forward to now i think that us satellite office moniker isn't one you hear much anymore they are almost entirely staffed by UK trained off magic circle silver circle partners who've come over most of them have trainee programs themselves development programs I think the the it used to they used to be a have a reputation for the hours being more demanding than say a magic circle team I think now um there's too much of a difference in that regard the money is more I think you know the US firms are having continue to invest heavily in London a lot of the London offices are the second largest by headcount after New York and after New York most profitable. So they're you know, at the moment seem here to stay. I think the sort of key difference is that you know, despite their success over here, they are still smaller by headcount than Magic Circle teams. So you know you are in a leaner team and will you know typically get more responsibility than you would do when you're in a larger team. So that's a uh, um, I think the, the main differentiating factor then people who like being in a larger team with the support that brings you like lots of trainees paralegals lots of knowledge, knowledge lawyers you know larger associate, associate team around you very hierarchical associate model um if you can if you feel that you're best suited to that environment then you, know, you may have a bit of a shock if you go to a US firm and suddenly expected to do more a little bit more yourself you know don't get the same level of support perhaps um, and more responsibility. So some people thrive in that and want it, and that's a good reason to go to a, a US firm. And others perhaps aren't so suited to that. So understanding that, I think, is um, a big factor. And also the, the main difference: the US firms are here doing big ticket M and A, and the and the, the work with a bigger margin. You know, their advisory teams aren't really. Uh, you know, they are in support of deal teams. Um, it's not as profitable for a US firm, so they're focused on that big ticket M&A you know, disputes work. So I think you know, if you're attracting, you know, if you're thinking about moving from a UK firm to a US firm, um, 
you know, being in one of those key practice areas is a good motivating factor. Um, if you're if you're an IP lawyer or a competition lawyer, perhaps you know that you may find yourself doing a bit more deal support than you do at your current firm, and that's a, a decision someone has to make whether it's appropriate for them. So there's definitely going to be kind of one firm that would suit different personalities, I guess, and depending what oh, you're after. Always, that, that's not really a US or Magic Circle thing. That's, that's across the board in the city. If you know, if you have a niggling doubt about one aspect of your role, and then at the very least. I mean, I always advise lawyers, you know, don't skip to the end and imagine yourself resigning and joining a new firm. You know, um, you will typically be in demand at the point you decide to have a look. So if you have a niggling doubt about one aspect of your role, then there will typically be a firm and a team out there who can satisfy you and you know all the things you like about where you are and perhaps be a bit more suited to you on that other aspect. But you'll never know until you go out. And, you know, we can advise people on where, you know, on paper, which those teams are. And indeed, when you offer really consultative service to lawyers, you know, really that's what we're here to do is listen to what someone wants and why, what they like, what they don't like, and advise them where they can potentially go and get that. And then even though we do a lot of put a lot of time into preparing people for interviews, um, ultimately they're gonna have to trust their gut when they go in and go through an interview process as to whether they can actually be satisfied there. So yeah, I think you know it's a competitive the city is a large competitive legal market there are lots of firms lots of teams that offer all sorts of different cultures remuneration hours so um in that regards a lawyer is quite lucky because they should be able to if they get the right advice find somewhere that you know generally is right for them and as kind of the rest of this year pans out and i guess the legal industry continues to kind of evolve and change a little bit um what are the trends do you think for the year ahead what do you what are your predictions that's gonna kind of happen yeah, so I think it's quite hard to say. I think if you just asked me towards the end of last year, we had partners in M&A private equity teams saying that, you know, the first half of this year was going to be pretty tough. There's too much, you know, too much sort of volatility in the market with inflation being so high. The true value of sort of UK firms couldn't be, you know, couldn't conclude what the true value was, and therefore that needed to all those factors needed to subside in the second half of the year. You know, there'd be a bit of a wave of deal making. I think it doesn't seem as if perhaps those those conditions have have come down. You know, the inflation in particular have come down to the point where we're talking about next month, where there's going to be a wave of deal making. So perhaps that's pushed back a little bit. So it's pretty hard to say. I think um, you know, long term trends. Well, we've already touched on it. The, you know, the U.S. firms are sort of slowly taking market share from U.K. firms, particularly Magic Circle. Um, the proposed merger between A&O and Sherman, is, if it goes through, is going to be, you know, it's um, it's it's very interesting to see how that will change the London, um, primarily the Magic Circle. You know, I don't suppose they'll be wanting to be as many of them aren't anyway. You know, you know, the phrase Magic Circle may not be appropriate anymore. You know, they're going to be an American and the global elite as the term they prefer you know what do the other magic circle firms do now how do they stop the u.s firms taking market share how do they adapt to a and o building this u.s presence so there's a lot of um i don't know <laughs> of course what will happen but these are interesting things going on in the market at the moment yeah and i think i uh, sort of front of everyone's mind in recruitment is you know at, at what point is this sort of the deal focused practice area is going to you know 
come back has been a little bit busier than they've been over the last nine nine months. I think disputes is is always and has been steady in a, from a recruitment perspective. Um, London's still you know the leading disputes hub in the world. Um, although over the last five six years the trend has definitely been you know other jurisdictions sort of catching up and challenging that. Um, so that'd be that's an interesting trend to to, to watch. But I think um, you know seeing how you know. Really, I think it's a case of um, the re the second half of this year will be sort of gradual improvement in the number of roles coming to market. I think it's going to be a sort of drip drip of roles across different practice areas, and then hopefully to get towards the end of the year and next year we'll be in a, a slightly a busier market than it has been to date. I think that's the kind of way I'm looking at it. Hopefully, as the weather warms up, so does the yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> finally. Thank you. Thank you so much, John. As, as you can all hear, John has invaluable advice and market knowledge on kind of all stages and all aspects of the London legal market. So I would encourage you to reach out if any of the above kind of applies to you or if you have any questions. So what's the best way to contact you, John? Um, I suppose just emailing me. I mean, my, I'm, I'm out there the, um, on LinkedIn. I mean, every recruiter is all over LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, you just approach me however suits you best. I mean, our whole ethos here is really we're set up and want to advise lawyers and we're a consultancy. You know, we offer consultative advice to lawyers and everything we do is around giving you the sort of the information you need. So you seek us out however best suits you and we'll pick it up from there. But it's not hard. Amazing. Thanks, John. So Jonathan Taylor on LinkedIn, send him a message if you need any advice. <laughs> Thank you so much, John, and have no, a wonderful day. No, yeah, no problem, Becca. You too. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Be sure to follow Sonda's LinkedIn, Spotify, and Instagram for the latest business and market updates. Have a great day.